Welcome North Bay Punk's B-Ward to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. This is a band that plays a blend of 80s-style death rock, anarcho-punk, and goth, and was formed late last year. Tonight, we'll get to know the people behind the music, what they've channeled into that music, and later they will play that very music. Please welcome to the program, B-Ward. B-Ward. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anarcho-punk. This is a term that you use to describe yourselves. Could you describe like what that music's all about, like the mindset behind that music? Because it's more than just music that's being played. There's like a, a philosophy, a worldview, uh, s- stuff that is representative of like the beliefs of the people that play it. I think it's kind of about carrying your own weight um, and taking care of what you need to yourself. Um, and if everybody just kind of did that on their own, everything would work out. But um, unfortunately people kind of steal from each other and they're greedy and need to kind of exploit other things um, in order to get their own way. So I think anarcho-punk is more just about doing it yourself. You play anarcho-punk and that leads me to believe that the idea of anarchy is appealing to you. And so I'm, I'm curious like what aspect of anarchy is appealing to you guys? Just freedom from oppression really just freedom from cultural oppression, political oppression, and artistic oppression. That's something that I have felt throughout the time that I've always been playing music. It's something that I have felt that I've wanted to break free from for the entire time that I've been going to shows, enjoying music, listening to it. Ever since I was a little kid, that's something that has always really appealed to me because it expressed freedom and it expressed power. individual power for the person and not for the people really and not individuals to take that power and exploit it that's the most important thing for me do you mind if i follow up you you Mm -hmm. you feel like you've experienced it before how how has it kind of crept into your life people kind of trying to dictate what you can and cannot say and the sort of music that you play is that what you mean to an extent yeah. yeah mostly just people trying to tell you that you're not good enough or trying to tell you that you can't do certain things with your music or with your band. Um, yeah, more, more so just the feeling of you can do whatever you want and you can express yourself any way that you feel. That's always been really important to me, and I feel like that's important to all of us. I really feel it's, uh, it's about autonomy. Um, if you really, if I'm not mistaken, if you look at what the anarchy symbol means, the A in the circle... That's autonomy within solidarity. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can have uh, autonomy with your music, with your way of life, with your speech, with the way that you think, the way that you want things in your life to go. So really it's um, having that autonomy without outside influences telling you what it should be, um, societal norms or things like that affecting the way that you live your life or the music that you write and the things that you do on the day-to-day. You had mentioned that there have been some figures from the world of anarcho-punk that appealed to you, and I'm curious if anybody has anybody that um, want to share in terms of, like, from the 70s onward that w- was inspiring to you. 
Um, for me, I think Rebel Ballet is one that I would say definitely carries the whole entire essence of anarchy. Um, they did everything themselves, um, everything from making their own instruments to hand-wiring their own amps to just putting out the message that no one can control you. Um, no one should tell you whether you're good enough or you should be here or anything like that. You know, like you are human on this planet and you deserve the right to live just like everyone else. Um, no one should have more than you. No one should have, you know, take anything away from you. Um, yeah. Nick Blinko, huge. Yeah, um, definitely. Absolutely. You know, cause not only with his, um, with his music, but, um, you know, he does have a fairly extensive psychiatric, psychiatric history for which he was admitted to, um, facilities. Um, which band was he in? Uh, he's the singer of Rudimentary Peni. And uh, also, he's a visual artist and did some really, really weird shit. Um, he, <laughs> uh, he kind of helped um, start this whole outsider art movement for which he, um, he has a gallery called the Henry Boxer Gallery. And uh, a lot of his art is just kind of twisted and bizarre and not really well accepted, um, kind of way ahead of its time when he was initially yeah. doing that. Especially for the UK. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it was the weirdest art out there. And then that kind of sums up the like DIY side where it's like you sure. don't what your art There's is no does norms. not have to be fit for public consumption. Yeah. It can be yeah. whatever you want it to be. Exactly. And, it, and that's an important thing for the individual and also just for pushing boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't even get into like the idea of like activism and direct action, yes. which is another big part of this genre. Exactly. Have the Wikipedia entry open for it right here. <laughs> um, and I'll read a few of them in a second. But Tom, you know, you brought up on a previous episode that like the people who choose to live on the streets, that's yeah. a form of anarchy. Yeah, it is they're, a form of anarchy. They're choosing to not participate yeah. in much, in very difficult. Yeah, it, uh, it's, look, it, it is, it's a different, difficult lifestyle, but uh, some of my friends that live on the streets here in Petaluma, absolutely, it, it's a choice that they make. And quite frankly, um, and you hear a lot of negative about them, but I know several that live on the streets that do not have, do not use food stamps and uh, make their way quite uh, nicely on their own. Thank you very much, as it yeah. were. And, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, a wonderful form of anarchy, if that if you can do that. So uh, f freedom from judgment is an important thing, I'm assuming, because uh, judgment is a form of oppression, I would say. You know what it is? Sure. It's not freedom of judgment or freedom of other people's opinions, because you're always going to get that. It's freedom to say, fuck you. Yeah. It's <laughs> not giving a fuck yeah. about their opinion. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not <laughs> giving a fuck, and exactly. it's, it's, it's an important well freedom. Very well said. Uh, I, I was interested to read this list of examples of direct action because some of these things you wouldn't even think of them as being uh, political, you know, but it's like uh, refusal of work, squatting, economic sabotage. Well, that sounds political. Uh, dumpster diving, <laughs> <laughs> graffiti, culture jamming, uh, freeganism, boycotting, civil disobedience, etc. It's It's funny to look at it through that lens because I, I, I bet there's a lot of people out there who wouldn't see a person who's choosing to live on the streets, say, mm -hmm. and think, Oh, that's that's a person who's making a decision because they don't want to be a part of the mechanism of society. Yeah. Um, instead, what you get is just a lot of negativity about that. So it's it's interesting to kind of switch the lens out and try to like step away from how society looks at things. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very important thing to do if this is a worldview that you subscribe to. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think everybody kind of daydreams about life off of a clock. You know not having to fucking go work for some asshole boss. Um, and that's, 
kind of like having to have the ideal way of having a primitive lifestyle where you can grow your own food, um, build your own house and just take care of shit yourself, you know, coming back to just doing everything on your own. Um, sounds awesome. You know, I mean like Henry David Thoreau, you know, went out and did that, but he wasn't, even he wasn't perfect. Um, it's, it's hard to break free from these chains that fucking government and culture and just society puts on you to grow up, start a family, have kids, you know, move on with your life. Oh, you yeah. know, it's ingrained into us. It's ingrained into us from a yeah, very early yeah, age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's damn near impossible to break free from it. Like it, and you mentioned Thoreau, even Thoreau like went back to his mom's house. Exactly. And yeah. That's yeah. Totally what I meant by that. <laughs> and it's, it, it's at least making an effort to do that. Um, especially in today's world. I mean, like that was a while ago, but still like you have to do something about it. You have to try to move towards breaking free, you know? Do you feel like even now where things seem worse than they did previously. (laughs) Um, Do you feel like we're moving in the direction in the world where this is becoming more feasible or do you feel like it's becoming less feasible? I'd like to think so. Um, Some days I think that it is moving towards that. And then I look, read back on other times where people were making more of an effort to be active. Um, And I think we really need to revert back to it, especially in the punk scene. Um, You know, there's kids going out there buying the t-shirts, buying the records, doing the thing, but they don't, you know, if something's fucked up in the world, they're like, Oh, who cares? There's nothing I can do about it, you know, but whatever. If you were not an anarchist, Tom Gaffey, do you think you would still be running the Phoenix theater 30 years on? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) See, but that's the problem. I, it's again, it's the same thing. When I, whenever I hire somebody, I tell them the same damn thing. Watch how I do this. Don't ever run a business like this. <laughs> I mean, I'm a terrible businessman, and uh, there's just no way to do it. I, I couldn't do anything but kind of business this anarchy isn't really style. Anarchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is. Capitalism is really. Yeah, it, 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 they it are kind of the antithesis of each other. Yeah. No, but see, I think the point you make is a valuable one. How you know people always ask when you're doing a band or if you're doing a venue, it's like, are you making good money and like how much are you getting paid? And that just misses the whole point. Yes. Whenever you get that question, it feels like you're being judged and you need to like prove yourself with your response i don't know if you've ever felt that oh yeah but um it's and in the same vein of like having to prove yourself in the means that society that that the society wants you to in terms of money in terms of your monetary value in terms of how much you can make off of it instead of the actual artistic expression of it yeah that's that's definitely a good example of that for sure yeah, and and it's it's very very on a very very micro level. The idea of somebody just asking you like, how much money do you make from your band? Um, <laughs> it's it's like that's All not that's not like huge you. that's not huge oppression, but it, and, but it, and our moms that, that's too. every Christmas dinner. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Is the band making any money yet? No, nope. it's just the, the guys go on tour again. Yeah. But it's like people who are conditioned to think in a certain way, and they don't realize it. They even maybe think that they're being like nice by engaging in conversation. Right. Oh yeah, but it, but it, it's an ego hit. It can be an ego yeah. hit if you're not secure in what you're doing. Is what right. I'm getting at. Yeah, bring it back around um, as far as seeing more prevalence in like an anarcho movement. Um, yeah. 
you know, I'd say in the Bay Area, we are seeing like a little bit more of that going on. But you got to understand we're in a bubble within a bubble within a bubble, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, you can say that with a lot of coastal port cities, we have access to a lot of culture that's not available in the Midwest or some areas of the South. So um, in those areas, they're still kind of blind to the kind of stuff that we are trying to raise awareness to and also are making our best effort to practice in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like uh, at this point in time, especially in society, it's like we're at that tip of a break again. And there's more people wanting to like accept and view the anarchist view without even realizing it because they're so upset about what's happening around and they just don't know how to articulate why they're upset and what's upsetting them, per se, but it's there. And in a lot of places, like you were saying, more like the coastal areas, like obviously the Midwest, you know, like red states, red states stuck in the red state way. But it seems like more red states are kind of going more blue and people are actually getting more liberal and that's kind of cool and everyone's realizing like shit's fucked up and things need to change. They don't necessarily have an answer to the question of like what needs to change, but they know things need to. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that think that they're going blue, but they really are just anti-establishment. Yeah. And uh, blue can also be pretty established. Yeah, uh, totally. Based, too. Oh, absolutely. It's just Ron Swanson to become libertarians moving. uh, (laughs) It doesn't need to be, you know, one or the other. No, definitely not. It could be anything, you know. Um, Oh, no. It doesn't have to fall on that very traditional spectrum of I'm left, I'm right. That's the thing about anarchy. Anarchy isn't anything. Yeah one or the other it's what's good for each other i think what categorizes it in that for a lot of people is um you know anarchism is um against all oppression you know it's anti-fascist it's anti-racist it's anti anything that oppresses people you know um you can't have anarchy unless everyone respects one another Which is tough because I think some people hear anarchy and they think that's a scary, lawless right. world Let's go that I don't want to go windows to. Windows and, and, and you would say that's, that's not wall. what pure anarchy would be. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I think people have been conditioned to be scared of that notion. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely. As, yeah. a, as a child, when I heard the word anarchy through school and like through my family, they're like, "No, no, that's like the, the disrupt of everything. Everything will shut down. Everyone will go crazy and destroy and kill and blah blah blah." Oh, it's yeah. like I was like, "No." As I got older, I realized, like, no, you're, you're talking about chaos. Chaos and anarchy are different things. Yeah. Um, in our society, people seem very uncomfortable with, like, the gradient in between the two points. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's a lot of discomfort um, with gender, sexuality, uh, political leanings. People don't really like stuff that isn't this or this. Why, why are we so afraid of that as a society, do you think? Because we're told to make a choice from a very early age. We're told from the time we're little kids that we have to choose a career, we have to choose a path to go down, we have to choose who we want to marry, we have to choose what we want to do with our lives from the time we're like babies. And we're conditioned to that by society so much that when a lot of people who aren't exposed to differing ideas or philosophies get older and they feel like they can't make a choice, people often either go one of two ways. They either succumb to that and they succumb to the um, pressures that society have on them and they make those choices or they realize this isn't for me, I'm kind of in between, Um, I'm in the middle of a sexual spectrum, I'm in the middle of 
any kind of spectrum that society would want to put on me and I don't want to do that. I don't want to make that choice. I feel like that's a big reasoning, a big reason, I should say, as to why so many people, especially in modern day America, have a problem swallowing that and swallowing everything that's happening with sexual politics nowadays, everything that's happening with um, just regular politics too because people don't understand ambiguity very well and they don't understand that they don't have to make a particular choice one way or another. They don't have to be left or right. They don't have to be just straight or gay or anything. They can be whatever they want. Human beings are such um, immense creatures. We have so much inside of us that we can express ourselves with and there's no need to put ourselves into little boxes. And that scares people. It really scares people. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think people fear people who are different, um, especially the white conservative American. You know, like they, they fear people of color. They fear people who uh, express themselves in a different way, express themselves in their gender. Um, I think that that's what causes oppression is people who fear them. And like, we can't have those people in our society, you know, that's, that's fucking wrong. They're angry and confused. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're scared of it, and that makes them angry. And makes I, them I think un- it comes down to like identifying with what kind of team that you're on. You know, <laughs> I'm on this team. Yeah, and that person is on not my team. So fuck them. <laughs> I think we experience that a lot in our work too. Is <laughs> uh, people who look at us and they're like. They're not, they're not on my team. Uh-uh. Yeah. What's up with your hair, dude? Yeah. Billy Idol's not on my team. <laughs> We're desperate to belong to something. And we, they don't understand when somebody doesn't fit right into that category. And, um, again, it causes them fear, I think. And uh, um, it makes people who are different that don't fit into those categories have fear of being the individual that they are which is incredibly wrong and fucked up, if you ask me. Yeah, and, you know, I I think probably important to state, especially nowadays, that there are plenty of people who have it a lot harder than any of us at this table, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we all have our own experiences, and you guys are describing some of them, and I think, like, the greater point that we're getting at here is uh, society's current swims a certain way, and when you're not swimming with that current, it can be very, very exhausting, regardless of what your uh, life looks like. Mm-hmm. Our, our small little complaints about having weird hair and tattoos is nothing compared to like yeah, a person of color who actually like goes to a strange place where it's a predominantly white area, and they're getting looked at sideways just because their skin pigment's different than the per- people in front of them. Yeah. So I, exactly. you know, we complain about that, but it's like that is nothing compared to like what other people yeah. who. Yeah, people of color have to go through exactly. on a daily fucking basis. Not saying like we get the most. No, like, yeah, at all. By like, all means, not even close to the, yeah, close to that. But both examples of uh, if we lived in the sort of society that you guys talk about, that these issues would not they wouldn't apply. arise. They yeah. wouldn't arise. There wouldn't be sexism. There wouldn't be racism. You know, um, I think the only thing that separates, you know, that is society putting that on people on women people of color you know that that they're different um we're all different we're all on different teams like we're not like we shouldn't be like what are we fighting fucking wars for how many years now like all my life yeah i mean (laughs) fuck since the beginning of time people have been fighting and 
it doesn't make sense that it needs to really be that way, you know? Back yeah. to the autonomy thing, you know, it you want your autonomy and you respect others' autonomy to yeah. a certain extent. It's empathy. Yeah. You know? but see, that's the only way that, that anarchy can work. Everybody's got to be depended on to be uh, free with each other and and let everybody have their space. Uh, and is that possible? Jeez, I don't know. With seven billion people on the planet, <laughs> apparently <Yeah>. not. <laughs> when you have a human element, there's a, yeah, a lot of it's hard margin for error. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, I mean, it can be said we are animals, but we're not as cool as animals, really. Uh, <laughs> you know? Definitely not. Damn, Those animals will let you be until dinner time. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> they'll leave you alone. <laughs> you sing a song tonight. Um, perform a song tonight called "Domestic." Mm-hmm. Anything you want to share about what went into that song in terms of your observation of people acting this way? That song, it's kind of weird how that song came about because I was just talking with Mason about this earlier. That song is all about um, toxic masculinity and abuse and about how even if it's not necessarily physical, it can often be um, emotional and verbal abuse. And that's something that um, we've all experienced in our lives as men. That's something that at least a little bit, we've all perpetuated on people that we've loved in our lives in one form or another, because as men we're conditioned from a very early age to be dominant and to be, um, not necessarily the oppressors, but the force with which people, um, have to listen to. And that song that those lyrics came out very quickly and when I wrote them out um, and I read them I was kind of disturbed by them honestly I was disturbed by what I wrote for myself and I was talking with Mason earlier about how dark those lyrics are yeah and initially it was meant as sort of an abstract kind of examination of an abuser thinking about the abuse that he's um, perpetuating on his victim in the moment and how often people who perpetuate those types of abuse don't necessarily even realize that they're doing it or they don't think that it's as bad as it is. And that's something that I've struggled a lot with in my life, coming from a family that yelled a lot, coming from a family that um, could get very angry very easily, not like a physically abusive um, situation at all, but definitely verbally and sometimes emotionally. And it plays into that whole fantasy of wanting to get revenge on the people that perpetuated those kinds of things on you. That's why the song kind of ends with the abuser grabbing the kitchen knife and at least visualizing taking revenge on their abuser. Um, It's very abstract in that way in the sense that it's not explicit if it happens or not, but I think that's kind of playing into the idea that people have that sometimes Oftentimes, in situations of abuse, particularly situations of very extreme domestic abuse, they feel like they have no way out. They can't, they can't call the cops because they'll call the cops and then often the police will just not believe the woman's story. And it's not necessarily a woman either. It can be anybody can be the victim of abuse, um, especially in a domestic situation. It could be children, men, women, anybody, no matter how you identify. And it's... It's very harrowing to be able to have to come to that realization that violence might be the only way out. And it's terrifying. And I feel like that's really what I was trying to convey with that song. Any other thoughts from anybody about that song? <laughs> anybody have any other dark, dark thoughts? 
which leads us to another song you played tonight, Lies. Anything mm. you want to share about that song I think would be interesting. <clears throat> That's a song that I wrote as a me. Um, it, I wrote it initially about one particular person, um, but I feel like as that song evolved, it took on more just the aspect of how Human beings lie so easily, and we lie about the stupidest things, we, and we do it compulsively. It's something that has always fascinated me, frustrated me, and something that I've also dealt with a lot in my own life. Um, when I was a kid, I used to compulsively lie a lot, as kids can tend to do, particularly to their parents, about where they are when they're supposed to be doing something good, but they're not. And... That perpetuates itself. That perpetuated itself into my adult life, where I would continue to impulsively lie about things that made no sense, and I didn't need to lie about that. Maybe it was because I wanted somebody to like me. Maybe it was because I just did it. But I find that so much in human suffering. I find that so much um, in society everywhere. People lie about everything. They lie to be able to build up their own self-esteem. They lie so that they don't bruise their own ego. They lie so that they don't hurt people. But often it ends up hurting people anyway. And that kind of line that we tow of objective truth and moral ambiguity and it, where is it okay to lie, where is it not okay to lie, those kinds of things have always fascinated me a lot throughout my entire life. And I tried to explore that with that song more and more as I continued to finalize the lyrics on it. Initially, it was just about one person and how I felt like they had lied to me a lot, but it took on a whole new life and a much more bigger theme as I continued to write the lyrics. And speaking of pattern recognition, I look, I know, I know we're just listing the songs you play tonight, but, but, but there's a lot of thought behind them. And not everybody who comes on the show puts as much thought into it. And I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, Jim. And I really, I mean, that, this to me is why we do this show. Yeah. You're going to play the music later on, but to like hear the thoughtfulness that went into it, yeah. this is beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, now that I've justified my <laughs> rather linear way of questioning here, tell us about pattern recognition, if you wouldn't mind. Pattern recognition is a lot more abstract. It's more, and it's a lot more general. I feel it's more just how human beings get into patterns of behavior that they perpetuate throughout their entire lives. Um, lying's one of them. Patterns of coping mechanisms, dealing with loss, tragedy, sadness, heartbreak. Um, people get on these patterns that they keep going and going over and over again, and they never learn from their mistakes. They never learn their lessons. They never learn how to break that cycle. Um, you could really write all of human history as just kind of like a cycle of bullshit patterns that keep perpetuating themselves over and over again. Um, yeah, that song has a lot more of just kind of like a general theme of patterns keep forming right before your eyes and there's nothing you can do about it, but you can try. And the harder you try, the better you can get at trying to break that cycle. But that's one of the most difficult things you can do in your life is to be able to break a pattern of behavior that you've had your forever. I'm still trying to do that. I feel like the, the, the other song you played tonight, Beautiful World, is a really good sort of like final prompt just that kind of ties everything yeah. together we've talked about. But before we do that, I, I had a question I wanted to ask you. Um, you two play in Redwood, correct? 
formerly. Yeah. Well, it, mm. there is a band. Well, it's, it's there was a band. Is a band around. called yeah. Redwood. There, there was a show that Redwood played where something really interesting happened, and I was in attendance at it. And I was curious if you wouldn't share it with us because I thought it was like such a moment for like this era, this punk scene, etc. You were playing at the Orchard House. And I think there was some moshing and a a member of the crowd uh, uh, commandeered the mic and it was very fascinating to observe. So I I don't want to spoil it, um, but I'm sure that you've had some, you you experienced it and you have some thoughts about the dynamic and all of that and just kind of the takeaway from it. So anything you want to share about that? I, as an audience member, I was like, wow, this is a moment in our like current political punk era. Definitely. That's, that's one of my favorite moments that I've ever had at a show. Maybe my favorite moment of any show I've ever played because that was an example of somebody taking direct action in that moment to be able to say that they didn't like what was going on and that they felt threatened by what was going on and that they felt um, oppressed as far as what we've been talking about would be a good word for that um, because... Moshing is something that has been on the downswing a lot in the punk scene in general for the past few years because it's a form of expression that's very that can be very dangerous and very violent. And some people just don't like it. And that's something that they have every right to express and that's something that they have every right to feel. And... Um, it was my friend Grizz, who I worked with in the city, actually. I worked with her at Whole Foods. She took the mic and basically said her piece of how she just wanted to watch the show and not feel like she was being boxed in by people constantly pushing her over. Important to note, this was a house show in a mm-hmm. living room, so it wasn't a big cavernous space like no. the Phoenix. It was, <laughs> if you were jumping up, I mean, I think it was like, what, 10 feet wide, that room, or 15 feet? Oh, yeah. Wide, not even, <laughs> not even that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, there's it, moshing, moshing in that space. You're, if you're watching the show, you're going to get affected by it. Important mm-hmm. to note, but go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I think a ahead. couple people took the mic. They did. Um, as a singer... I get to say my piece all the time, constantly. That's my really my one job. So any opportunity that I can have to be able to give somebody that microphone and to give them that same voice, I'm game for. Yeah. Because as I feel very lucky to have been able to play in bands for the past 10 years, that gives me that opportunity. And especially um, for people who for more oppressed peoples and me, a cisgendered white male, people of color, women, transgendered people, gay people, anybody who feels like that they want to be able to say their piece in some way, I'll give them the mic. Absolutely. They deserve, the, they deserve it more than I do. I, like, people like me have been talking into microphones for centuries. Yeah. Let's give it to somebody else. Yeah. Let's give it to somebody who's truly oppressed and somebody who can really express that feeling much better than I ever can. I'm, I'm good at it, but I'm not that good at it. <laughs> and you have one perspective, a perspective. Exactly. A I just have that one. Per- I have that one extremely dominant perspective. Yeah. Anytime I can give um, a disenfranchised voice that perspective and that platform to be able to say their piece, that makes me feel really good. I feel like that's my goal as a singer more so than just to entertain people and to be able to even more so than to be able to express my artistic feelings and to be able to be the center of attention, I guess to be able to educate people in that way and to be able to empower people that way. 
that's why I started to be in a band. And that's why I like being a singer too. Before we wrap up, I would like to talk about Beautiful World. Mm -hmm. I mean, I less so would like to talk about it than I'd like to hear you talk about it Mm -hmm. because you wrote it, you guys play it. Um, It's a song that I think sums up a lot of what we've talked about tonight. So anything you want to share on that song, I'd love to hear. It's the first song we wrote too. Yes, it is. Yeah, cool. It's the first song we wrote. Um, It's the first song I wrote lyrics to. Um, it's, It's really just about people's perceptions on the world around them. And it, it really does sum up really well what we've been talking about this whole time about how people look outside their window and they perceive something to be one way when it's really another way. And people love to choose a side. They love to feel like they have to be able to fit into a box. People love to believe that the world outside is nothing but flowers and butterflies. Um, but it's terrifying. It's oppressive. It's, it's brutal. The world is brutal. And that song really just kind of encapsulates that feeling that I've always have of, that I've always had of, man, it's fucking terrifying out there. We gotta, we gotta fucking work together. We gotta band together. We have to be empathetic with each other. We have to hold each other up. That's why at the end of the song, I put in a Kurt Vonnegut quote, one of my favorite Kurt Vonnegut quotes. Um, which it's from, I forget which book it's from. It's from one of his nonfiction books where he's listing out the different rules that we are going to give to babies when they are first born into the world. And one of the ones that he says is, the only thing I, have to, I know for sure, babies, is, God damn it, you've got to be kind. Really, that's something that I was taught from a very young age and that I still cling to very much so um, to a fault people don't always deserve kindness but from an initial standpoint be kind to people everybody's fighting a battle everybody's struggling in the world we live in today everybody's fucking scared and we have to be kinder to each other and we have to be able to be more empathetic with each other and we have to work together and it's it's a tough road and it's a long road, but we'll get there if we do it together. I feel like that's really what the feelings that are encapsulated in that song. The book was God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. That's it. Written in Thank 1965. You. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that there's any better way that we could end this episode than on that note, yeah. because that is the whole point of what we're talking about. It's uh, perfectly it's cr- stated by Mr. Vonnegut as always. <laughs> it's wild out there, but you are doing your part to try to make shape the world a little bit in the image that you believe that it should be shaped in bit by bit. And this project has worked as a vehicle for that and to express those views and will continue to work in that way. And it's been really a pleasure to sit here yeah. at this table and talk to you guys about that. Absolutely. So thank, thank you. For you us. Thank you. Thank really you guys, cool guys so much. Doing. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. And now, in just a moment, the band known as B. Ward will play a set of this very music for the first time collectively on the stage here at the Phoenix Theater. Yeah, we should do it again. So stick around for that. Thank you again so much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you you so much, Jim and Tom. Pee if you got to. Run! Run! Go.co! I can't do it. Run!